right, I invite you to remain standing as we um, read the scripture together. The scripture this week comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. So let's join the word together. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We're in the midst of a sermon series called A Series of Life and Death, and what we're doing is we're traveling through the seven deadly sins and their corresponding virtues and, um, and asking what we can learn from them. And, and specifically what we're hoping is that we can learn from the vices, from the, the seven deadly sins, in, in such a way that we can avoid temptation and grow into the seven virtues. And, and so that's our hope. This, um, this quote kind of um, gets at what we're hoping, but uh, according to St. Gregory of Nissa, sin is a disease of the will which is deceived and takes a mere shadow of the good for the good itself. And, and as we look at these different sins, as we look at these vices, we're tempted to think of them as goods. They're, they're typically easy, you know, we can just kind of slip into them. It's easy to slip into pride or, or to anger. And, and sometimes we think those things are, are good, they're things that we should pursue, but they're only shadows of the things that, that actually lead to life that build us up, that help form us in the character and image of God and, and help us live the abundant life that Jesus has for us. And so we're going through each one. Um, in our first week, we talked about pride. Pride leads us to think that we are better than, not just better, but better than others. Humility, on the other hand, lets us see ourselves clearly and because of that have an authentic connection with God. Last week, we talked about anger and patience. Anger leads us to captivity, um, causes us to, to become hostage to, to the things that happen to us and the emotions that control us. Patience releases us from resentment, releases us from having to hold on to grudges, holding on to anger against other people. It, it sets us free. And so that's where we've been this week. What we're talking about are lust and chastity. And so um, those, we know the word lust. Chastity is a word that doesn't come up as often. There's one thing usually that we think of. Um, chastity, does anyone know? Belt. Okay, so we said it. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that tonight, but just going to get it out there because that's where everyone's mind goes. But, but uh, this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, chastity is the least popular of Christian virtues, the least popular of Christian virtues, and, and, and I think he's right about that. I mean, we kind of go through and we think of, you know, pride and humility. We think, you know, humility is a great thing. I, I love being around humble people, and that's really something that I want for myself. We think of patience, and we think, you know, I, sometimes I blow up, and, you know, whenever my, I've got a three-year-old, so I think, you know, I wish I were more patient with her and uh, more patient with my family and, and just people in general. You know, we want patience, or at least we want to want patience, right? We, we know that it's desirable. And then we get to chastity, and, and to be real honest, I haven't talked to anyone, I don't think, who's ever been really excited about chastity. Like, I, I don't know anyone who's ever said, you know, I'm really excited about not having sex. <laughs> if they've ever said that, it was ironically. I mean, that's just not one that, that we're excited about. And uh, it's not something that's, well, sexy. It's, it's not a, a real attractive <laughs> topic. 
And yet it's an important one. It's one that we need, and, and you may not believe me now, that's fine. I hope that, uh, that I'll have you swayed by the end of this sermon, because it is really vitally important that we are able to check lust, to, to avoid it, and live lives that are chaste. Left unchecked, lust can re- wreck our relationships and reduce our capacity to love. It reduces our capacity to love. We're not able to love fully whenever we're captive to lust. And it can really take our relationships and just wreak havoc on them. And in some cases, even destroy them and tear them apart. And so this really matters. It's, it's a, you know, it's, I, I have to admit, this is the first time I've ever preached on lust. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not anticipate, anticipating a sequel anytime in the near future. <laughs> But it's important. It's something that we need to attend to because all of us are tempted. All of us are tempted in different ways, but we have to recognize that and attend to it because God has a better way for us. And so tonight, first, we're going to start by looking at the vice, at this deadly sin, at lust. And this is how Father Joseph David Honeycutt defines it. Lust is, means looking at another with sexual longing, looking at another with sexual longing, and specifically looking at someone with whom you don't properly have a sexual relationship with sexual longing. And so in the Christian tradition, we understand um, marriage to be the proper place for sexual intimacy, and so looking at people outside of that with sexual longing is where we fall into lust, whenever it's people that that are not our spouse that we're looking at. And and so um, this is what Jesus says about lust. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And uh, this, was a, a, this is a, a male example that applies uh, both ways, I think. But Jesus is saying, basically, look, you, you know adultery is wrong, that, that cheating on your spouse is wrong, but, but I tell you, if, if you look at someone lustfully, you've already committed adultery. Now, I think what Jesus is using there is hyperbole. He's not actually equating these things. Uh, if you do look at someone lustfully, it's better to stop than to go ahead and commit adultery. Those aren't, aren't the same things. But he is saying this is really serious. Because sometimes we're tempted just to, you know, write those things off, to say that doesn't really matter, you know, I can think whatever I want as long as I don't act on it, then it's not a big deal. You know, it's, it's just a thought. But what Jesus is saying is, no, this, this really matters. The way that we look upon other people matters. And, you know, it's, it, it's sometimes difficult to figure out how do we, how do we kind of parse this out, how, how, what actually um, is, what is actually the point when we fall into sin, and, and, you know, the problem is not the thought itself. We're people who, who are wired to um, be attracted to other people, and, you know, whatever stage we are in our lives, we're, we're going to pass people who, who we're attracted to, and that just kind of happens. It's not something conscious. It's not something we choose. It just happens, but the problem is to Choosing to linger on it is, um, is, you know, not just noticing and then moving on, but noticing and thinking about and lingering and then going back. And, you know, that person that I passed earlier, that's really where we fall into problems. So, so if you want to see um, an illustration of that, <laughs> that is what that looks like. Maybe you've seen this meme before. A guy walking with his spouse or girlfriend and uh, notices someone of the opposite sex that he finds that he's attracted to. That happens, but he turned around and looked. 
That, that is absolutely lust. That's, he went wrong. That's where we fall into it. But it's, it's when, really whenever we don't just, something doesn't just occur to us, but we actually linger on that feeling whenever we nurture that feeling, whenever we come back to it and continue to dwell there. And that's really what we have to watch out for. That's whenever we fall into, into this way of thinking that, that harms our relationships and objectifies other people. Whenever we think about lust, one of the most common manifestations is pornography. And uh, at an age when we're very connected with the internet, whenever we have most of us in our pockets devices that can access the internet at any time or place, it's widespread. And it's something that is used by many people that, um, that leads us into, into lust. And there was a survey that was done by the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection. It's the largest United Methodist Church in, in the United States. And one of the questions they asked was whether, um, whether the people who were taking the survey, primarily their members, um, ever viewed pornography. And over 50% of men under 60 reported viewings pornography sometimes or more often, at least sometimes. And, and so we're talking about men who are church-going, many of whom are married, people who mostly would identify themselves as followers of Christ, but for whom this is an issue and for whom this is a problem and a habit. And, and so it's something that's widespread, that's extremely common, and, um, and, and again, you know, we, it's easy maybe to write that off and to say, well, you know, it, it's so common, it's probably not that big a deal, everyone does it. But the problem is that it ends up objectifying people, that it cheapens our relationships, and really um, causes us to, um, if not commit adultery if we are in a relationship, but at least to, to give our heart and our soul to something that's not our spouse. It sets up unrealistic expectations and ends up objectifying the people who are on the screen, the people who actually are real-life people, but who are in those, in those materials. And, and here's really... Um, I think this is, this is uncomfortable, I know, but it's really important, and, and I just want us to know that, that this is a difficult issue, and if this is something that you struggle with, you're not alone, and, and there's help, and, um, you know, particularly if it's something that you struggle with as an addiction, there's help, and, and Andy or I or any of our pastors would be glad to, to connect you with help. Um, Melissa, if you're more comfortable talking with um, her, but any of us would be glad to let you know that there's help, because it really is a problem that will hurt our relationships and, and has the capacity to take over and really cause them to, to suffer damage. And the problem, what happens is that lust turns people created in the image of God into objects for our use. It takes someone who's a living, breathing person, someone whom God loves, whom God has desires for, and basically just turns them into someone for us to look at or, or to imagine turning into an object for, for our pleasure and our use. It, it reduces their humanity and causes us not to be able to relate to them as human beings. And whether that's someone that we know or, or it's someone on the other side of a screen, it still has an awful effect on our relationships and causes us really to struggle with those relationships and with, our, with the way that we regard other people. One of the other problems that we run into is that lust can also lead us into infidelity. 
And sometimes it's easy in your relationships whenever you're going through a rough patch to imagine that, you know, if only things had been different or, you know, maybe if I'd chosen differently, then things would be better right now. Maybe I wouldn't be struggling. And, you know, it happens a lot at work. Sometimes there are people that, that we have fun with that, that make us laugh, that seem to be nice to us more often than our spouse is nice to us. Sometimes it happens on, on the Internet, too, now. We see, you know, oh, that was that person that I had a crush on or that I dated in high school, and, wow, they look really good, and, you know, that picture might be 10 years old, right? But, but anyway, maybe it was taken from a really advantageous angle, but, but, you know, those thoughts happen sometimes. And again, we don't control those thoughts, but if we nurture them, they can lead us down a really bad path. Of course, the, the difficult thing is, you know, we, we think about that, but we don't ever imagine, you know, the person that I'm having difficulty with, maybe it has something to do with the fact that we're trying to raise children together, and, and that's really hard. You know, we, we, don't, we don't have to, uh, it's easy to imagine with other people that everything would be great because we don't have to try to live with them, right? We don't have to try to get them to, to pick up their shoes or, or clean up after themselves or, or please do one dish this week, just one. <laughs> We don't have to walk into the bathroom after they've just had way too much Tex-Mex. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff. (laughs) Marriage is real, right? (laughs) And it's easy whenever you're not on the front lines with someone to imagine that things would somehow be different. But, you know, if you removed yourself from your current relationship and put yourself in a new one, you'd still be the same person. And the same things that you struggle with would continue to be struggles. And yet lust takes that and and twists that and makes it easier for us to imagine life with someone else. And and if we continue following that thought path, that can lead to actually committing actions that, that are adulterous, actually leading into infidelity to our spouses. I think one of the real problems with lust is that it causes us to seek satisfaction in things that can't satisfy us. It causes us to see others as means for our satisfaction. And, and in a sense, I think we can also talk about things as, as, as things that we lust after. Sometimes we lust after things because we think somehow they could satisfy us or they could fill this hole in us. And, and so sometimes we, we even imagine, what if things were different? What if I could do things differently? What if, what if my garage looked really different? What if I, I had storage space all over it, and, and, you know, there would never be a mess in my garage if I had this much storage space, and, and there's even a built-in vacuum? <sighs> Sometimes we, think, we see those things, and we think, oh, wouldn't life be so much better? And, and we actually, I mean, I don't think it's a mischaracterization to say that we practically lust after them. So, so maybe garages aren't your thing, but can you imagine if your bathroom looks like that? What if you didn't have to share a sink and a vanity with anyone? And what if you could get into your bathtub and you had a chandelier above it? I mean, I don't even know where to go from there. A chandelier in the bathtub. Maybe for you it's a car and your, your current zero to 60 leaves something to be desired and you need a car that maybe would be better measured in zero to 100 because it's like that. And if you had a, a Lamborghini in your garage, in your really clean garage with lots of storage space, wouldn't life be so much better? Maybe, you know, you're, you're someone who, who's more mature and not really drawn to, to stuff so much about things that can be experienced. And you think, what if I had fresh baked cookies and milk every night. Or if you're me, what you really dream of is a beautiful fountain pen. (laughs) Just me? Okay. 
But sometimes we think things can fill this void. They can, they can satisfy us. They can fill this hole in our heart, you know, and, and it's not always stuff. Sometimes it's power. You know, if I just, I would feel better about myself if I had power over others, or it's money. You know, if we just had a little bit more, and, uh, you know, whenever you get a little bit more, it, it's never quite as much as it seemed like whenever you had less. But we think somehow those things are going to satisfy us, that they can fill this hole, that, that these objects somehow can, can fill the desires that we have. And so God's answer to that is the virtue of chastity. Now, we talked earlier, I mentioned no one really gets excited about just not having sex. There's a deeper meaning to chastity. It refers not only to abstinence from sexual sin, but to faithfulness in all things. To faithfulness in all things. Not just avoiding things that are bad, but actually experiencing the good of our relationships with others. Of being faithful to our spouse, about being faithful to our family members, faithful to God in, in everything. Experiencing the fullness of those relationships whenever we're faithful. Not just abstaining from the bad, but actually experiencing the good. I don't know about you all, but I, I grew up in the church, and it seemed like whenever I was in youth group, at least whenever I was in a particularly cynical mood, it, it seemed like basically we had two rules. If you want to be a Christian, like, don't drink and don't have sex, and if you don't do those things, like, you're good, and, and that's such a, and, and one, I, I want to confess, that's not fair to my youth director and teachers, so, so but, I, but I also, you know, sometimes we think that's what, what faith is all about, and yet the positive side of it is so important, because it's not just about the things that we can't do, it's about experiencing the fullness of all that God wants us to have. Because chastity doesn't repress sexual desire, it channels desire into a faithful and life-giving direction. You know, in the, in the book of Genesis, it said God created, God created humanity in God's image, male and female, God created them, and God told them, go forth and what? Multiply. Multiply. And, and do you know how, so you all know how multiplication, <laughs> okay, and, and God made that activity fun, on purpose. That, that wasn't just an accident. God did that on purpose. God gave us these desires, and they're good. But like any desire, if they're not channeled in the proper direction, it causes us harm. And so what chastity is about is not suppressing desires, but channeling them in the proper direction so that we can experience the fullness of all that God has for us. Because whenever we grow in chastity, whenever we grow in love, we no longer see others as objects for our use, but as beloved children of God. Once we overcome lust, we're no longer tempted to see others just as someone who, who can give me some kind of pleasure or, or who I want to ogle at. I had to ask how to pronounce that word. Not just someone that, that we stare at, but someone that we actually can have a real relationship with, that, that, we can fully, that we can know deeply and be deeply known by. This is what, what Paul says to the church at, at Philippi that we read whenever we started. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, pleasing, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, focus on these things. 
And whenever it comes to, to living chaste lives, whenever it comes to growing in the virtue of chastity, it's, it's not just about what we don't do. It's about the things that we do experience, the things that we focus on. Those are all of the gifts that God has given us, the gifts of relationship with one another, the gifts of, of intimate love if, if you're in an intimate relationship. But all of those are beautiful and wonderful things. And, and whenever we focus on those, whenever we think on those things, we can experience the power of what real relationships look like. That's what God desires for us, not just to live prude, repressed lives, but to experience the fullness of God's love for us. So as we think about this, I want to share a few action steps with you. And, and so the, the first place that we start as we seek to avoid lust and, and grow in the virtue of chastity is to identify the areas where you are tempted. Each of us is tempted. This isn't something that some of us struggle with and the rest of us have overcome. We all face temptation, and that looks differently for each of us, but it's important for us to identify where that happens because if we're not aware of it, there's no way that we can overcome it. One of the things I know about myself is that if there is ice cream in the freezer, I'm going to eat it every night. And I also know that I'm incapable of getting a small bowl, and I'm also incapable of getting one scoop and leaving it. I mean, it has to, ice cream has to be viewable above the rim of the bowl if you're looking at eye level. I mean, that's just, I, I've not figured out. And so if you're thinking about, you know, I, I want to eat less ice cream, having, it, having a large bowl every night is not something that, that is leading me toward health and wholeness. But we have to really think about where does this temptation happen? And I figured out it, it doesn't start whenever I walk into the refrigerator. It starts whenever I'm at the grocery store and I don't need anything in the frozen food section but I think, I'm just going to walk down this aisle just to see. And then I walk, and I see the ice cream, and I think, I don't, I don't need any, but I'm just going to see what flavors they have. You know, I think they've got Ben and Jerry's now. I just want to see what they've got. And then I think, you know, maybe I'll just check it. I wonder what the ingredients are. This must be so high fat, I'm just going to look. But then it's in my hand, and my shopping cart is right there. And somehow it ends up, and then I go and get in line, and I have to pick it up again and set it on the conveyor belt, and, and then I have to pay for it. And so all of these things happen, and, and so by the time I say yes to ice cream in my kitchen, I've already said yes like 10 times. I think for a lot of us, whenever we fall into temptation, we see the moment whenever we actually fall, right? We see, I see the moment whenever I'm actually sitting with the bowl of ice cream in my hand, but I have to recognize that the place where I actually start to give in to temptation is whenever I walk down that aisle. Does that make sense? And so recognizing it's not, just, it's not just that actual choice, but there are actually a lot of choices I have to make to actually end up with a bowl of ice cream in my lap sitting in front of the TV. So, so what are the places where you're tempted? Identify those. And then replace bad habits with good habits. You know, one of the things that's really difficult is deciding not to do something and then just thinking about not doing it, Right? And so this year during Lent, one of the things that I'm trying to do is spend less time on my phone to, to be really intentional about the, the amount of time I'm spending in front of screens. And, and this is kind of what my life looks like right now. I, I go to work most days, and then I come home, and it's just kind of like once you walk in the door, it's like this race, and you just see if you can get the kid fed and then get her into bed. And if you haven't put a three-year-old to bed recently, it is exhausting, 
And so all of this happens by the end of the day. I don't have a whole lot of extra energy and don't really feel like making any decisions. And so if I, you know, get her down and uh, with help, I, I don't mean to pretend that I'm doing all the work. That's not how it happens. But I sit down on the couch and, and my plan is don't use your phone. Like how long do you think that's going to hold up for? Like five minutes would be doing really well. And it's like, okay, wonder what everybody else is doing right now, Right? I mean, just not saying you're not going to do something doesn't work. And so it's important to take, to replace bad habits with good habits. And so one of the things that I figured out, if I, know, if I decide ahead of time what I'm going to do what, before I'm exhausted and don't feel like making any decisions, if I de- decide ahead of time what I'm going to do after my daughter goes to bed, then I can actually get it done. I have had this, this woodworking project that has been on my workbench since Christmas, and last night I finally cut it out. I had not made any progress for three months, but I planned ahead of time and got it done. And so whenever you think about, whenever you've identified those temptations, what are the, temp- where are the places that you're tempted to fall in and recognize what are the things that I can replace that with? So, so whenever I'm in this situation, if I'm tempted to, you know, if, I'm in, in a, if I have to meet with somebody and I notice sometimes I, I feel that temptation to think about what if, how can I change that so we're meeting in a public place and that doesn't happen? If, if whenever I'm at home alone in the evening, if I'm tempted to, to go to websites that I shouldn't go to, what are things that I can do instead so that temptation doesn't happen? But, but identify those bad habits and replace them with something better. Don't just say, I'm not going to do that, but replace it with something that's positive. And then finally, love people and use things. It's absolutely devastating whenever we get that backwards. If we fall in love with things and, and try to use people, it's absolutely devastating. It's devastating to us. It's devastating to them. It totally can ruin our relationships. Whenever we get that right, whenever we're willing to love people, to see them as humans, not just a, as objects, we can experience the fullness of what it means to love. That's really what we're talking about whenever we talk about lust and chastity, not just the things that we can't do, but saying no to objectifying people, saying, no, I'm not just going to see you for what you do for me, recognizing that, that there's so much more to it, that, that we can actually be in a real relationship, not just as something that you can do for me, not just the ways that you can benefit me, not just, you know, even, even in a totally non-sexual way, you know, seeing our spouse as the person who, who takes care of the kids so I don't have to, or, or the person who sustains my lifestyle, or whatever it is, we can actually engage in deep loving, meaningful relationships. We can stop settling for the shadow of love that is lust and experience the real thing, the love that God has for us, the love that God desires for all of us to have with one another and with God. Let's pray. Oh God, there, there's so many places that tempt us, that tempt us to see others for what they can do for us and to see them as objects instead of humans. And yet you desire something so much better for us. So God, we pray that that you would help us, that you would help us to see everyone we meet as a beloved child that you created, someone that you love, someone that you have desires and dreams for, and that we would treat them accordingly. And that in doing so, we would love one another as Christ loves us. And as he taught us, so we now pray together. 
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.